0: What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Murph and the Mage. I am your host, The Mage. You can find me on Twitter at Mage underscore NFL. I am joined, as always, by my co-host Murph. Murph, say what's up to the people.
1: Happy June. Happy summer, my people. Ready to rock and roll. Get the beer flowing. Get back to the shore, to the beach, whatever it is. Uh, I think it's summertime now, Mr. Mage, right?
0: Yeah, I think so. Although uh, somebody had sent me some news uh, to kick off June. The uh, Congo has uh, six new cases of the Ebola virus. So that makes that interesting. Awesome.
1: Yeah, I uh, heard this morning that there's a wild, deadly bird flu that's going to wipe out half the population of the world. So uh, we always got something good to look forward to, right?
0: (laughs) That's for sure.
1: Uh Murph, tell people where they can find you, brother. You guys can find me at one Murph Blue on Twitter. And also uh please check out our Facebook page for Murph and the Mage as well as our Instagram page at Murph and the Mage. As well as Twitter.
2: That as well.
0: So we are also joined today by a very special guest, Mr. Jimmy Robbins. Jimmy, how are you doing today? I'm
2: doing good, man. How are y'all?
0: Doing good, man. Holding up as you heard the intro. I mean, when there's a lot going on in the world, but We're going to try and bring these people some sports.
2: we got to try something, man. There's a lot of good stuff going on right now, right?
0: Absolutely, man. A lot of craziness going on in this world. So, Jimmy, why don't you go ahead and tell the people where they can find you as well?
2: Sure, man. Yeah, my uh, my Twitter is just Jimmy underscore Robbins. And if y'all want to find me on Instagram, it is just Jimmy Robbins underscore. So, literally just type in my name and it'll pop up.
0: Perfect. And what do you do, Jimmy? Why are you here today?
2: I am a uh, minor league baseball player for the Toronto Blue Jays organization. Um, I was drafted last June. So I'm um, just now getting my feet wet, but that's uh, that's what's going on right now with me.
1: Congratulations on your draft pick. Where'd you get drafted sure. by and tell us a little bit about where you're from.
2: So yeah, Toronto Blue Jays selected me last year, uh, 20th round. I was born and raised in Orlando, Florida. Um, went to high school at Boone High School um, right outside of downtown. I actually went to Troy University in Alabama for my first two years. I played um, my true freshman year. Um, And then I actually got hurt going into my true sophomore year, missed that season, and transferred to Rollins College, which is a Division II school in Winter Park, right outside of my hometown. Played my redshirt sophomore year there, and then was drafted as a redshirt sophomore um, last June. So, came back home to Orlando, played for a hometown team. That was really fun. Uh, got to have my friends and family at a lot of games. That was exciting. Did a lot of really good things there and really enjoyed my time being back home. So, it was kind of a perfect perfect storm and it it worked out really great I I was really excited to have the opportunity to have that big of a year and go through that draft process with my family and friends around I think that made the the transition a little easier for me
0: Jimmy this has kind of been a little bit of a crazy offseason given the COVID pandemic and everything tell us a little bit how this offseason has been different from the last offseason in terms of training and preparation
2: yeah it's uh It's kind of been fluid, really. I think that would be the best way to describe it. When they first told us we were getting sent home, we didn't really have a timeline as far as how long we thought it might be. Actually, the original postponement was like two weeks. So a lot of us thought we were going to go home and train for two weeks, like nothing was going to change, and we'd come back and just pick up right where we left off. So I actually went out to... Um, right outside of Houston Texas and I trained with another prospect in the Blue Jays organization Jordan Groshans. his family was kind enough to let me stay out there with them and we trained every day out there and then you know as as news kind of kept getting worse and the situation kind of wasn't moving in the right direction as far as getting baseball back going I decided to come back home and yeah it's it's definitely been different you know in previous off seasons you know exactly when your deadline is you know what day you're going to be back you know when you should start your throwing program, what you should be doing in the weight room, how to be training, when to be training, how often, and whatnot. Um, and then this year, with everything that's going on and kind of the unknown, it's really been on a week-to-week basis, kind of finding out. You know, we have meetings twice a week. We get updates anytime they come out, and I kind of just base my training off of that. I've really been training the whole time as if they were going to call and tell me I needed to be back next week. I guess that's me just trying to stay optimistic, but. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely been, it's it's been hard because not knowing makes training way more difficult because you can't properly schedule things out. So I've been lucky. I've got a lot of things that I that I need to continue to get my work done here at my house. I turned practically my bedroom into a weight room other than the bed and a TV. I've got all the weight sets in here, the dumbbells, the weighted jackets, the medicine balls, all the good stuff. And then my, my stepdad and his dad actually built me a mound for my house. So I've still been throwing bullpens weekly and you know, I got catchers coming over to catch me. And so we're still getting work in, but it's definitely uh, as far as scheduling what to do and when to do it, it's been a challenge for sure.
1: A lot of uncertainty in life right now, right?
2: 100%. It's
1: kind of like that feeling you had when you were in middle school, high school, when you're on summer break and you're just going to sports camps and everything like that. You know? <laughs> yeah. As far as where you're at right now and the organization and the league going forward, what is the the recent news? and kind of what's your next step
2: really what we've been told um which which honestly is not much but what we know is that plans going back and forth between MLB players association and the front offices and the owners and as a minor leaguer you know we're kind of waiting to see what happens with them it's pretty much widely accepted that they wouldn't bring us back until major league players are back um which just makes sense so we're kind of sitting around waiting to see what happens with them i think at least from the people that I've talked to as far as other teammates and stuff, I think the idea of us getting sent out to our individual affiliates kind of seems like a lost hope, but I think we're all kind of staying optimistic on the idea of maybe them bringing us back to at least the facility down in Dunedin and, and getting us up opportunity to at least train um, at the facility, maybe even play games against the other local affiliated teams. So that's really all we know. There's definitely no answers written in stone. We don't have anything really solid planned out yet there's no dates that have been laid out so it's really just a matter of of hoping that a plan gets agreed upon at the at the higher level and and hopefully that trickles down to us getting back to playing baseball here soon
0: so have you been in touch with anybody from your organization have you been in touch with your coaches other players
2: yeah yeah we have pitching coaches that I, I think the way they laid it out where they have certain coaches assigned to a, a certain group of guys so I've had a lot of communication, actually at least twice a week, we're doing phone calls. Um, There's a group of about 15 of us on a Zoom call. um, And we're just talking about, you know, mechanical stuff, things we can continue to do to try to develop. We're trying to get as much development in, even though we're separated, you know, we're going over video, we're talking about stats from our previous seasons. We're looking at things we can improve upon. And I think the idea is that they hope that we can take that information they're giving us and apply it to what we're doing at home. So we're in contact with them. Pretty often, I talk to I talk to someone from the organization almost every day. Whether that's the coaches I'm talking to, um, you know, the I actually have a another player that lives right up the road for me that I see a couple times a week, and we kind of bounce thoughts and ideas off of each other. But as far as the organization, we've been in contact pretty often. We actually we get emails almost weekly from the front office, just kind of letting us know what's going on. So th- so they're doing a, a really good job keeping us informed as much as they can, but. Uh, really, right now, no one knows anything, so it's hard for them to really deliver us with any new information.
1: So, if you had to guess, just if you uh, let's play, Mr. Manager for a little bit or Mr. GM, <laughs> do you think that you're going to be back on the diamond this summer or not, or uh, are us fans kind of shit out of luck? Or, uh, <laughs> how you, how you feeling? Obviously, you're remaining positive. I can tell that. But I guess as fans, the the narrative around the fans right now are they're and jeopardy of losing the season?
2: Sure. I would say that I think that there's a really good chance of seeing Major League Baseball at some point this year. I think those guys will get back on the field in some capacity. I don't know what that will look like. I don't know what the layout of that season will be or where they'll be playing games, but I think at some capacity Major League will be back this year. It's hard for me to imagine a situation in which minor league baseball is played, at least in any capacity, similar to how it is normally played with us going to our affiliates or even really breaking out into our individual teams. You know, I would like to think that maybe we can get some sort of competition going, at least in South Florida, with maybe the other teams that have training camps down in that area. I know the Yankees are in Tampa Kissimmee's got the Tigers the Phillies are there in Clearwater so there's teams that are close to us in Dunedin that I'm hoping maybe we can somehow get some sort of games in but you know it's unfortunate because minor league baseball is important to a lot of people a lot of the a lot of the games are played in smaller towns where they really rally around those teams and you know it does it's not just an unfortunate situation for us players because everyone knows how bad we want to be back on the field but there's a lot of people that you know those minor league teams are a big part of their lives so it stinks for them too that they don't get to watch baseball this summer. And it's just as unfortunate for us as it is for, as it is for them. But I feel like a lot of times maybe the minor leaguers get lost in the hustle of things because the the big league is obviously the focus, but you know, there's, there's a lot of guys um, in every organization that want to be playing baseball right now. So hopefully we're back sooner rather than later
1: yeah man that was definitely something we were excited to kind of talk to you about because we had been talking about on our show previously a little bit about everything going on in baseball right now and you know we got to say we feel for you minor leaguers and and especially the staff of um all these minor league teams as well you know you guys are the really ones that are missing out on the biggest opportunity here so uh you know shout out to you guys for keeping at it this summer and kind of being positive and making sure that you know you're you got the right mindset going forward because obviously a lot of uncertainty are going
2: on
0: right now yeah For sure. Jimmy, the one thing about Murph and the Major is that we've been on the side of the baseball players when it comes to this, right? Because something that we have mentioned previously in our previous podcast is that you got teams like the Tampa Bay Rays that have a payroll of around $60 million, but yet you got that are also taking in revenue from the revenue sharing stream. And then you got teams like the Yankees, the larger market teams that are spending, you know, near the uh, luxury tax threshold. The players here are the ones that probably need to be taken care of the most in our opinion, at least. So I'm not going to put you on the spot. I'm not going to go ahead and ask you to comment on that, uh, like Blake Snell did. (laughs) But Blake Snell is in his first year of arbitration, right? Granted, he is expected to make around seven million dollars, a little bit more this year. But if he gets injured, we saw similar situations with Matt Harvey in the playoffs with the Mets or the World Series, and then coming out and then having thoracic outlet syndrome. This is something that I'm sure many players didn't want to do or now in your case though you're trying to make the ball club I don't think a lot of people necessarily have the right idea of what the life of a minor league baseball player is can you add some insight for our listeners I don't believe it's luxurious hotels and uh (laughs) and room service but
2: yeah sure so I mean just speaking on what you talked about with you know this situation in minor Obviously, it's unfortunate for everyone. The big leaguers are feeling it, too. But I think as a minor leaguer, and just speaking on what I know, and you kind of hit on it with about just trying to make the ball club, there's hundreds of guys in every organization in my shoes that are just trying to fulfill a dream they've had their whole life. And this is a a speed bump in that. So as far as what this is for the minor leaguers, it's it's one year less of opportunity for us to prove ourselves. And I think that's how a lot of people are looking at it. And I think that's why – there's a lot of upset minor leaguers. It's is not because, you know, you don't come into the minor leagues thinking you're going to be a millionaire because you play minor league baseball. Everyone has the idea and, and you know what you're getting into when you become a minor league baseball player, but you also know what you're working towards. And so for this to be happening in the middle of an opportunity for us to be proving ourselves that we think we can play at the big league level, it's just a speed bump. And I've got guys that I know that are you know, three or four years older than me, 24, 25. And, you know, there's a ticking clock on everybody. Right. So every organization has a, a timeline as to when they would like a guy to be big league ready. And this is one year out of preparation and proving themselves that those guys have got. So as far as this situation, I think that's where it relates, but just what a life of the minor leaguer is like. Um, yeah, it's definitely not staying at the Ritz and, uh, getting eggs benedict brought to your room in the morning uh, <laughs> we uh you know we do stay at some decent hotels they're not putting us you know we're not staying at at the dumps but um I, I would actually like to say that i'm i'm actually really lucky to play for an organization that takes really good care of its minor leaguers the blue jays actually do a really phenomenal job of, of looking out for us and make sure that we're in the right place but i mean man there's so many stories you know i played for I played a little bit of time last year in Bluefield, uh, Bluefield, West Virginia, uh, for the Bluefield Blue Jays when I got called up to advanced rookie ball. And I remember just <laughs> – I remember we got put in uh, – me and my roommate got put in the smoking section of the hotel that we were in. And you walk into the room and it smells like someone had just lit a pack of Marlboros on the floor and left them there for us when we walked in. Perfect for an athlete. Yeah, exactly. Hey, that sounds
1: like West Virginia, my man.
2: Just the breathing quality we wanted uh, – for our sleep that night but look, I mean and look and you show up to the field and it's uh peanut butter and jelly sandwiches sometimes and pop tarts and stuff like that but um but like I said the Blue Jays I think more than a lot of organizations from guys that I've talked to take good care of us they I mean they have opportunities set up for us to get food I, they did a really good job actually in Bluefield with the local restaurants of setting up packages where we could go into restaurants and eat at a discounted price or order from a separate menu so I mean they, there's all kinds of Avenues that the Blue Jays have kind of come up with to make it easier for us. But you're definitely uh you're motivated by your surroundings to keep getting better say so you can live the life that you see the big league guys living. Um you know, it, it is what it is. It comes with it comes with the territory.
0: Well, to even come back to that a little bit, Jimmy, I think the point that you really hit on is the opportunity, right? Because what a lot of people don't understand is that most minor league baseball players could probably earn the same living working for, let's say, a CVS retailer Mm full-time. It's not luxurious. It's not a lot of money. These guys are there because they either love the sport or they're really looking for the opportunity and they want their ticket to the big show. Now, back to your point, which is what you said about some of the older players around you, 24, 25 years old, their clock is ticking at Murph and the Mage, we really try to humanize players as much as possible because I, th- mm-hmm. I think fans tend to lose that element of it. Baseball, as a sport, has way too much control over its players. I'm a Mets fan, and we're talking about Pete Alonzo coming up. Now, granted, the Mets didn't do this with Pete Alonzo last year, like the Cubs did with Chris Bryant with the whole service time fiasco. Yep. But most players don't get a shot. At their first contract until they're 27, 28 years old, which is unheard of in most sports.
2: Yeah, completely different than what you see in basketball and the NFL and stuff like that, for sure.
0: And now, granted, now the shelf life for a baseball player is a lot longer than is other sports. You know, we've seen other pitchers like Moyer and uh, Smoltz pitching to their later age. Uh, Randy Johnson as well. Roger Clemens. Hitters, maybe not so much, although we still have Nelson Cruz on the Twins.
2: That guy's going to play till he's in a wheelchair.
0: Yadier Molina, man.
2: Yadier Molina is still at the top of his game, though, man.
0: Yeah, but
1: how
2: old is he? <laughs> I don't, I'm not even going to guess. I'm not even going to guess. <laughs> yeah, he's
1: in his 30s. He still does
0: ball. He, he's still good, though. You're right. 37, sorry. There you go. So I think a lot of people forget how much control baseball teams really have over their players. I just really want to emphasize that, especially on your behalf. I don't want to put you in a predicament to say it, but I mean, players do get screwed because the amount of control that a team has over them from the time that they're drafted, I mean, really up to the time they're big contracts. So I just really want to emphasize that point too. So
2: I think baseball more than anything else, baseball more than maybe any other sport, at least that I'm aware of, you have to prove your value longer than in any other sport before receiving big compensation for it. I think in a lot of sports, particularly the other big sports like the NBA and the NFL, you know, if you prove your value in college, you instantly get rewarded with compensation. Whereas other than maybe top one or two rounds of the MOV draft, I mean, you can dominate in college, but until, like you said, you're 26, 27 and played a couple of years in the big leagues and have proven yourself valuable at that point, maybe not until then do you get that big time money that these other guys are getting. So I definitely think it's unique in that aspect, but it's kind of going back to what you said about the opportunity. That's what that's what guys are playing for. I know, I mean, speaking on my behalf, and I'm sure the majority of guys in the minor leagues were playing because this is a game that we fell in love with when we were little kids, and we feel like we're blessed to have the opportunity to get paid to do it, no matter what level that might be. So, you know, that's what keeps me going. It's not – If you were playing baseball in the minor leagues for the money, you wouldn't be playing very long. So I I think, guys, I think really, for the most part, guys are playing just for the love of the game.
0: And that's a really great point. And about the leagues as well. Now, the NBA recently, uh, only a few years ago, installed the G League, which is kind of like their minor league. The NFL doesn't really have one. They call it college football. (laughs) Nowhere else has as many minor league affiliates as baseball does. So it's not only making it to the show. But it's also having to outperform and outshine the other players in, in single A, the rookie affiliates, yeah. double A baseball, triple A baseball. I mean, we have some prospects here in the New York area that still haven't reached uh, triple A baseball yet that are considered the top prospects on the farm system. So-
2: and, you know, even beyond that, too, and we get told this all the time, making it to the big leagues is hard. Staying in the big leagues is even harder. Um, you know, you, it's not like once you get there, you're there for 15 years guaranteed and you're going to make a ton of money. You Once you get to that level, you got to prove that you're, that you belong there and you can be successful there. You see guys all the time get called up and you know, they're there. They, I mean, as far as a pitcher, you're there for a couple outings and if you struggle, you're right back, you're right back to where they pulled you up from. So it's not just getting there; you got to prove yourself once you're there too. So,
0: let me transition over to the next question. Then, do you see yourself with a job next year, given the prospect of them eliminating possibly 42 minor league teams?
2: Yeah, I, I do. Um, you know, I get asked that question a lot. I get asked that question by my grandfather at the end of the dinner table almost a couple times a month. Just want to know if I'm. If he's going to be able to watch me play <laughs> baseball. But look, the way I feel about it is. I know that I'm an extremely hard worker. I put a lot of time and effort into baseball, um, not because I feel like I have to, but just because I love that side of it. I love the work that goes into trying to make it to the next level. I know what it takes. I've talked to guys that have been there. And I feel like I know what my value is to an organization. You know, being left-handed is obviously a blessing that I didn't get to pick. It just happened for me. And I feel like I've I've proven myself in my first year so far to be someone that's valuable. and. Um, So I try not to spend too much time worrying about them cutting back on minor league teams and what that might look like. You know, I'm confident from the conversations that I've had with people and the work that I've put in and the things that I've done that I'll be in the best place next year, regardless of what happens. So. That's how I try to look at it. It's
0: funny that you mentioned about that left-handed thing because I I grew up football. I played football. You know, I always said I wanted him to be everything I wasn't, you know, good looking star quarterback, you know, (laughs) I'm playing NFL one day, (laughs) but you know, my son's godfather, who's really into baseball. He said, if you want him to be anything, Tie his right hand behind his back and teach him to throw a baseball lefty. So <laughs> I'm convinced that my parents did that. They never tell it. They never admit it. But I think they <laughs> might have done
2: that because I'm the only lefty in my family. So it, gotta, it had to come from somewhere.
0: Right. <laughs> One thing, too, Jimmy, is uh, – and I don't know how much contact you have, so I guess this is a really good question. But you are surrounded in the Blue Jays organization by generations – of legendary baseball, right? So you have Guerrero, you got Biggio, you got Bichette. Do you have access to those guys? Have they been influential in your growth? Do you really not not get to talk to them? I know they kind of came up right before you were drafted, though, too. Yeah.
2: So as far as Vladdy and with Biggio, I haven't had really any contact with those guys. I've seen them around. I obviously grew up, I, I got to watch their parents play, which was great. But as far as Bo is concerned, Bo actually played baseball in the same general area as I am high school ball. He played in Central Florida and his dad was a Yankee. um, And I grew up a huge Yankee fan because my whole family is from New York. I was actually the only person in my family born in Florida. Um, So I grew up watching the Yankees. So I knew the name Bichette before I even knew Bo. And so it was kind of full circle when Bo got drafted. I remember watching the draft and they were making the connection between his dad and him and they were comparing them as players and stuff like that. And then when I got drafted by the Blue Jays, I kind of was thrown into the same world as he was. I was just a couple of years behind him. So it's him more than their other two. I have a little bit of a connection with, but it's, it is, it is really cool. It's great to see. It's kind of exciting, honestly, to see that there's guys in our organization whose dads had such great success in this game. So, and then, I mean, I mean, you've seen the success. It's, It's correlated into those guys. Bo had a huge breakout year. Vlad, a superstar. And and Vigio has been incredibly dependent, too. So I think those guys are really exciting um, to watch coming down these next couple of years.
1: Do you have anybody that you would consider kind of like your mentor from the organization? Any other teams that's kind of like brought you up in the game? Um, Obviously, you just mentioned some of the guys in in the organization that you're playing with now. But any role models, any mentors that are kind of leading you?
2: Yeah, um, so as far as the organization is concerned, I've gotten, I mean, I've gotten really close with a lot of guys. The staff is incredible. But the first thing that comes to mind is David Um, He used to play ball. He played for a handful of different teams in his career. He was a flamethrower, similar build to me, kind of long and lanky guy, but he's really, me and him have built a really good connection to each other. Um, you know, just from the time I've spent at the facility, him watching bullpens, giving me pointers here and there, and then you know off the field we can joke around and talk about life stuff so he's been a guy that I have a lot of communication with even recently throughout this you know quarantine and postponement stuff man Him and I've stayed in touch and he's been great as far as like role models in the game of baseball or people that I looked up to growing up um, I, I mentioned how I was a Yankee fan and me and probably half of the other generation that came up watching the Yankees Derek Jeter he, he was like on a different level growing up. I've got pictures of, i mean i'm I played for the Blue Jays, and I still have Derek Cheater Yankee pictures in my bedroom <laughs> uh that guy, of
1: course, man that's natural.
2: the way he carried himself on and off the field the the way he was as a teammate, his competitiveness I mean, I still remember when he got his three thousand hit I was running around the house like I had just gotten home from school and watched the game, and he had hit the the home run for his three thousand hit and I thought that was like the coolest thing ever so. Uh, Derek Jeter is definitely someone I idolized growing up, but I wish he would have stuck around a little longer. It would have been fun to get a chance to play against him, but he's got his hands full down there in Miami now. So,
1: Well, I got to ask, since you're a pitcher, you got you to gotta tell us about you know, who you kind of model your game around and as far as on, being on the mound.
2: Sure. So, um, man, that's tough because there's a lot of guys that I feel like – I don't feel like I picked one guy and kind of idolized myself or tried to mold myself off of him. Um, I think I kind of pick from a couple of different guys, but people that stick out to me off the top of my head, uh, Marcus Strowman as far as competitiveness, I I love watching that dude pitch. And he was with the organization when I got drafted by them. Um, now with the Mets, obviously, but I grew up, I was watching him all the way through high school and college, and I I love the passion that he pitches with. I I'm the same way on the mound. I love. I kind of wear my heart on heart on my sleeve for sure. I think it's just passion flowing into my game that, and I kind of love that he's the same way. And I also like that he kind of preaches the pitcher being an athlete. And I think that's something that I put a lot of pride in is still remaining athletic as a pitcher. Um, you know, it's funny when I was in Texas training with uh, Groshans, who's a shortstop in our organization, he was, we were warming up one day to get some working or something. And he's sitting there laughing at me while I'm getting warmed up. And he's like, I'm like, what are you laughing at, dude? He's like, you don't look like a pitcher. He's like, you don't run like a pitcher. You don't warm up like a pitcher. You don't play catch like a pitcher. <laughs> He's like, if I didn't know any better, I would think you were like a center fielder in the organization or something like that. But um, as far as pitch-wise, Clayton Kershaw, uh, watching him strike guys out with the big loopy curveball, I, I always thought that was awesome. And, and I, I fell in love with the curveball from watching him throw it. I love Joe Kelly's fastball. I love watching him kind of blow people away with the fastball up in the zone, uh, which is definitely – that's my favorite pitch is a fastball up in the zone, for sure. I don't think there's any better feeling in the world than than beating someone with a fastball, kind of mano-a-mano. Mano, here it is. See if you can hit it. Kershaw, Verlander. I feel like every pitcher kind of idolizes Verlander. Um, so th- those are the guys that stick out in my head, but I can go on forever about guys that I've watched film on. Uh, Chris Sale. Chris Sale, a long, lanky lefty. I always thought that was cool because that's that's what I am. We throw from similar arm slots, so – I watched a lot of film on him. There's all kinds of guys.
0: So do you idolize Justin Verlander on or off the field? Oh, man, maybe both. He's got to figure it out (laughs) off the
2: field, too, man. He's not doing too bad off the field, either.
0: (laughs) Not at all. Not at
2: all. I actually remember when I I was, I think I was still in middle school, maybe, or a freshman in high school. I was at an Orlando Magic basketball game. And I think it was when him and Kate Upton first started dating. I don't even think they were engaged or married yet. And it was funny. So he comes walking out and you know, there was a handful of cheers. You kinda of heard people, Yeah, Justin Verlander, yeah. And then she comes walking out and you would have thought there was a standing ovation. You would have thought the Orlando <laughs> magic were coming out of the tunnel. So <laughs> I think she might she might carry more weight in that relationship than he does, but he probably knows that. So
1: I once cooked Justin Verlander's uh Food. He's actually probably one of the nicest people I've ever met. He actually lives pretty close to me. Oh, really? Him and uh, Kate Upton and a uh, Wegman's before. Yeah, but uh, he's a nice guy. He's actually one of the only athletes I've met that's super nice um, in person, <laughs> at least. Yeah, man. You know, yeah. you've had a wild journey this far. It sounds like.
0: Yeah, Jimmy. So you talked about looking like a center fielder. Have you played any other positions besides pitcher growing up?
2: Yeah, I was. I always played two positions growing up. So, and and actually, center field was what I played when I was in high school when I wasn't pitching and I loved it out there I used to I mean I I'm still one I'm one of those pitchers that still thinks he can hit even though if you put me in the virus box right now I'm not gonna I wouldn't put my money on myself but I'm gonna sit here and tell you that I could hit you know my way to the big leagues even though that would be foolish to say but um yeah I I think that I think that that kind of is where it started for me I rather than saying I love the idea of being athletic I think I hate the idea of not being athletic more than I love the idea of being athletic I hate the whole like pitchers aren't athletes thing i'm like i'm gonna make a shirt that just says pitchers are athletes and wear it around all the time i think but
1: yeah dude there you go we can start pushing it for you
2: yeah right stroman's got his height doesn't measure hard and
0: yeah there you go hey you know what jimmy good luck telling the uh, mets pitchers dad especially bartolo Colon.
2: hey man that that guy is the pinnacle of athletes, all right? <laughs>
0: and the perfection of a male's body.
2: 100%. I'm surprised SportsCenter never got him on the cover. Or Sports Illustrated, yeah. yeah
1: for real. <laughs>
2: body
0: issue, right? Yeah, you're in that next, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, but they haven't called me yet. They haven't called me yet. I'm waiting for my phone call. The minor league edition.
0: <laughs> it's funny that you have brought up about pitches not being athletes, too. And I say it jokingly, but the Mets pitches every year – Combined for multiple home runs between Syndergaard, uh, Jacob deGrom. I forget who else had a home run last year too. uh, Stephen Matz. That new ballpark, y'all got. (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna put you on spot here, then. All right. Which do you prefer? Do you prefer being a starter or a reliever?
2: Definitely a starter, and and I'll tell you why. I don't think it's so much as you know. A lot of guys say it's for the preparation and things like that. My reason for saying starter is because I love the mental side of being a starter. I love the, the grind of trying to hold down a lineup for seven or eight innings. I love the idea of being on the mound in the sixth inning and knowing you've seen a guy twice and trying to think what he's thinking and do the opposite. And the, the mental side of being a starter is, is really appealing to me. I, I love that. I love watching film on guys. I love, you know, sitting down before the game with the catcher and going through the lineup and pointing out weaknesses and strengths, which are just, I mean, you can do that as a, as a relief pitcher, but as a starter, I think it's just, it's that more important because you're going to see those guys more times throughout the game. And I love the grind of like being, being at a hundred pitches in the seventh inning and you're, you're grinding through it and you're, putting everything you got into it trying to keep your team in a ball game so just the starting as far as the competitive side of it is super appealing to me but you know there's something to be said too about coming in the ninth thing and just trying to blow smoke by guys to get those last three outs so
0: hey you said you were a Yankees fan nobody did it better than uh Mariano
2: that's true that will yeah I don't know if anyone will ever do it better than Mariano but you know it, it's kind of cool actually and it's funny you asked that I when I was in college the year I got drafted I actually did a little bit of both. I would start games, and I also had the opportunity to close some games too and It's just so different it's it's almost like a it's a different mindset really you You're thinking all day about a start and really all week and you're looking over the lineup and you're going over everything and you're getting yourself mentally ready and then you're you're grinding through the game and you know you're running out there six or seven times, but then the games where I was coming out of the bullpen I knew I was going to close it's like it's all adrenaline. That's that's what you live off of. I think as a reliever is just coming in a big spot and using adrenaline to kind of fuel your outing. So they're just two different beasts. I've got a lot of respect for guys that are relievers. Um, my first year, I was a starter with the Blue Jays, so I hope that continues because I I really enjoy it. So
0: so basically, what I heard out of you is that you're a competitor.
2: Yeah, that's if if you know when people ask me one word to describe myself as as a pitcher, that's what I always use. I the competitive side of pitching to me is the most appealing thing. Just knowing that every play starts with the ball in my hand and, you know, I'm I'm responsible for trying to hold down another team's lineup to give my team the best chance to win. That stuff fires me up more than anything else. So
0: Well, I think you talked about it earlier when you talked about your pitch preference. I mean, it's like, hey, I'm going to give you my best stuff. Come and get it. Yeah. And talking about what you really enjoyed about being a starting pitcher, it really sounds like you got that competitive fire, which is great. So if you happen to be a reliever, not a bad thing because (laughs) you probably end up having a longer career in the uh, major leagues. If you reach the show as a reliever, then you probably would have started just with the wear and tear. Although they're a little more conscientious now about the pitch counts. Yeah. So, how do the Blue Jays right now, what are they telling you about how you're projecting? Are they projecting you as a reliever or are they moving you to reliever to work on some more mechanics and then maybe move you back to starter?
2: I mean, I think they're they're projecting me as a starter. I've started all of my training and spring training was as a starter. Um, I was always with the starters. So I think I'm projecting as a starter. I mean, I'm I'm a four-pitch lefty. I, I like to mix pitches up. My fast one, my curveball. I'm sitting here telling you my secrets right now. But I, I like I like to mix fastball, curveball. I got a slider and the changeup too, um, which have been big additions for me. Because at college, it was really fastball, curveball is all I ever used. But yeah, I think starter is what, from just the conversations I've had with guys and what they've told me, it, starter is what I'm projected as. But that, you know, that can change all the time. I'm I'm sure that most guys bounce back and forth on their way up the minors. So I'm I'm not I'm not against either. Whatever gets me to the big leagues and allows me to help the team win games, I'm in for. But just if I had to pick one um, that I could do, I would, I would say starter. All
0: right. So I got another question for you too, Jimmy, if you got, if you got a little bit of time. Yeah. All right. So should the Mets have traded Jared Kalenic for Edwin Diaz and Robinson Oof.
2: So funny story, my pitching coach in high school that I went to for private lessons and actually in middle school too, is actually Edwin Diaz's pitching coach um, back home. So I have like kind of paid attention to how he trains and stuff in the off season and kind of built like this fandom for him. So when he got traded to the Mets, I thought that was like the coolest thing. I was like, Oh, that's great. He's going to be in a big city. He had been so dominant before. And then, you know, Cano coming back to New York, I knew they would, you know, they would receive him really well. So I thought that was really exciting. And then you as a Mets fan saw how that panned out. (laughs) And now I feel like Mets fans might not be quite as excited. So, to ask should they have done it, I don't know. I can't – I don't know if they should have done
0: See, and the reason why you is because as a prospect in the minor leagues, I mean, right now, Edwin Diaz, if we were getting the pitcher that he was prior to coming to the Mets, I understand the trade a little bit more. Robinson Cano can hit what should be an absolute triple and end up on first base, so <laughs> – <laughs> I mean, at this point in Cano's career, I'm glad that the National League is getting a DH. Yeah. But Jared, Jared Kalenik is looking like he's going to be a real stud in the major leagues in terms of – and he plays a center field position, which is something that the Mets desperately need. Yeah. And the Mets also gave up Anthony Kay in that deal, uh, who happens to be from New York as well. I believe he went to the same school as uh, Stephen Matts.
2: I'd say the Mets were probably kind of in that – in the. In the win now mode last year, I think they thought that they were in a position where they could compete really for it all. Maybe is, and I think maybe bringing in Edwin Diaz is a missing piece that they thought would have filled the gap for them. But I, I mean, obviously that didn't it didn't pan out as they wanted it to. But and you know that better than I do. So,
0: so you're so you're saying that the Mets have the best team in New York. I appreciate that. Thank you. James. Oh, don't put words
2: in my mouth. Now. <laughs> <laughs> My family would disown me if I started saying that the Mets were better than the Yankees. So I still don't think my mom's gotten rid of her Yankees gear yet either.
1: Oh man, yeah. So how's that all go down? You know, that's <laughs> pretty uh, that's a pretty controversial topic. It's got to be.
2: I know. Well, it's uh, I stayed in the division, so I guess I've got that going for me. But
1: well, I, I'm the Yankees guy, and he's the Mets guy in the show. So I'm hoping you get traded to us, regardless of
0: anything <laughs> that happens. But. Uh... I'm sure Jimmy would love that, too, the whole Garrett Cole thing.
2: That stadium in itself is, I mean, you feel like you're just walking into a history book, really, if you walk into Yankee Stadium. And and I I wish I could have gone to the old one, but I never got the chance to get in there. But, I mean, yeah, it, it still, to just walk into Yankee Stadium, just knowing the guys that have worn that uniform before is was really special. So hopefully I get to play in there one day against them or with them.
1: No, that would be awesome. So we were looking you up a little bit. We are looking at a little information. And uh, can you explain like your time in the Gulf League and the Appalachian League? What is one a certain level of rookie ball?
2: Yeah, so the Gulf Coast League was where I started. That's kind of just like it's uh, where they put a lot of the guys right out of the draft. Okay. Kind of get your get your bearings, kind of get used to um, what the minor league schedule would be like. Although it is different there than when I went to the Appy League. So in the Gulf Coast League, we played. Monday through Saturday, all your games were at noon. Sundays were always off. And then when I went up to the Appy League, um, you know, you're playing. I mean, there was days where we played, you know, we would play 14 days in a row before you get a day off. And then you 14 more games in a row and then you get a day off. So the schedule is definitely a little more grueling in the Appy League. And you, you're playing all night games, though, so, which I personally love. I love night games. you um, Get to the field around 3 o'clock, get your prep work in. First pitch at 7. You you go home and then you can sleep till 10 or 11 the next day. So I prefer that. But yeah, it was just very different. The Appy League was more, I think you get more of the minor league baseball feel um, when you get out of the Gulf Coast League because you're starting to travel around more. You're playing in stadiums with some more people at the game. So um, it had more of that, that minor league baseball feel to it than the Gulf Coast League you're really playing in front of. Uh, staff for the most part.
1: Gotcha. So it's kind of, it's a step up from in rookie ball. So it's kind of like yeah. rookie A, rookie B.
2: Yeah. Gotcha.
1: Yeah. I was always curious about that. I saw it on your resume and I wasn't really sure.
0: Just one last thing, Jimmy. I mean, what does the future hold for Jimmy Robbins? Uh, we'll give you the floor. I'm really excited
2: about what I got coming forward for me, man. I I know I put in a lot of work. I am I know that I'm going to outwork pretty much anybody um, just because of the passion that I have for the game and stuff. So, you know, if I was writing my own book, I'd I think pitching in the big leagues, helping a team win a World Series, pitching in all-star games, these, those are all things that I picture for myself. And You know, I, I picture a lot of stuff on me off the field, too. I, I like to think I'm a really creative, forward-minded guy. I, I would love to start a business. I would love to provide avenues for success for my friends that have been with me since way before all the baseball success came. So, I mean, there's there's things on and off the baseball field that I've got on my checklist, and Uh, I'm the type of person that knows that I'm going to put in the work to make it happen one way or the other. So I got a lot that I want to happen and I'm looking forward to going after all of it. So, well,
0: the good thing is Jimmy, that you still have a whole lot of your life ahead of you. You still have a whole lot of your playing career ahead of you. We're certainly hoping nothing but success for you and your future. When you are in the area, certainly let us know if you have any games in the area. We'll be more than happy to come and uh, start the Jimmy Robbins fan club.
2: Yeah, man, I appreciate it. I appreciate y'all having me on here, too, for real. Thank you.
0: All right, so that does it for our interview. Thank you very much, Jimmy Robbins, for joining the show today. Really appreciate it, and we wish you the best of luck for Murph and the Mage. Murph, any final words?
1: Be safe people, respect each other, love each other, and hug everyone.
0: Especially during these times, that certainly resonates, doesn't it? So, that's it for today's episode. Peace and love, everyone.